Oh my gosh, life is such a horror movie. Waking up, going to work, the guy asking you for coffee and you, and you don't drink coffee is like real murder. Just musing on how life imitates art, imitates life. I understand it. I, I, I mean, the human body alone is a house of horrors and I'm ashamed to have one, frankly. Oh boy. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So with all that said, welcome to today's podcast. I'm Taylor, your day-to-day video editor, and this week, you're a horror survivor. And I'm Jalen Campbell, your local poli-sci grad, and this horror night's victim. I am so sorry. <laughs> and today, we have a guest with us to talk about horror movie, history, culture, so on, and maybe even how to survive a horror movie. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Would you like to introduce yourself and then answer this very important question we've been asking most of our guests so far, if I can remember to do it. What are your three favorite fandoms, franchises, and your favorite character from each of them? Oh, wow. Um, Oh, that's a big question. I I do wish I'd had a little bit of time to think about it beforehand. (laughs) I know, I always (laughs) put people on the spot. But yes, hello, my name is Luke Howiter. I am one of the hosts of a little podcast called Final Boy Status. It's about mm. scary movies and the stuff that happened in them. And that is why I that that is why I'm here. One, to talk about horror movies, and two, to get that old plug in, baby. Exactly. <laughs> the old plugarooski. Oh, my three favorite fandoms that I've been a part of and my favorite characters. Oh man. As as a as a younger person, I'm not very well connected with comics anymore. I was a huge DC Comics guy, in particular uh, Green Lantern. I read the Green Lantern comics obsessively, and even though Hal Jordan was like always the protagonist of those comics when I was growing up, I was a a bigger fan of uh, another Green Lantern. And uh, I'm gonna lose my my nerd cred so hard right now because I suddenly can't think of his last name. Kyle Kyle Rayner. Kyle yes. Rayner. yes, yes, yes. Oh yeah. I liked his whole deal, and then when New Fifty Two came around, and he had the new—he was the lead of the New Guardians series. I read those obsessively. The guy who did the artwork for the first few uh, volumes of the New Guardian series—he actually lived in the same town as me growing up, so I have some of those autographed, very prized possessions. So yeah, uh, Green Lantern was big for me. Love Kyle Rayner. I mean, growing up, I loved so many things. This is this is difficult. I feel like I have to bring up Star Wars. I'm literally named after a Star Wars character. <laughs> um, and talk about favorite characters. We just saw the return of what? who's got to be my favorite Star Wars character. We saw the return of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, He came, oh, God, so cool to see him back in action. And he's as beautiful as the day we left him, frankly. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love to see it. Oh, we're going three. We're going three for three. Um, that's what makes it hard I feel like as an adult now the world like the the fandom I'm in most is like it's like comedy stuff I don't know if you would consider that like a fandom but like I think you would at least yeah comedy is a good fandom (laughs) I I think that's a world you can uh, trip and fall into and enjoy thoroughly Uh, and like a good chunk of my professional ground is in my professional background is in comedy in various places. So like, obviously it's something I think about a lot. And lately I just finished uh, that new HBO show from Nathan Fielder, the rehearsal. And so my favorite character in the comedy fandom right now, I'll say is the character of Nathan Fielder. I don't know what that guy's like as a dude in real life, uh, but the character version is fascinating. Very much. (laughs) Yes. We need to add the rehearsal to Oh, I've seen part of it. Okay, I need okay. I need to see it. (laughs) (laughs) It's especially like kind of funny because just like the discourse around it is so funny that there's been like an explosion on Twitter of people going like, Why do we give Nathan Fielder a platform? Like he manipulates people and it's like, is that news? That's like his whole thing. (laughs) He's like (laughs) manipulation has been his brand for like forever. I didn't realize this was surprising. (laughs) 
That sounds like a really bad plug for Nathan Fielder. Go watch a show about a guy who manipulates people. Come on, it's fun. I mean, isn't that everyone who loves Palpatine? Just you know, go watch a guy manipulate everything. Let me just subtly influence some midichlorians and make my Sith son. And destroy an entire galaxy. I mean, come on. If you love Palpatine, you gotta lo- you're going to love the rehearsal. Sounds like it. <laughs> Famously the same thing. Nathan Fielder and Palpatine, the same person, essentially. No, it's, uh, yeah, it was good fun. I watched that whole season in like one day and I was really, not only is it funny and shocking and so strange, but it was also weirdly beautiful. And there were moments that made me like tear up and get emotional. I shouldn't be plugging Nathan Fielder's show. Why am I doing that? When I talk about the things I love and the things that make me emotional and the things that make me laugh, that final boy status, it hits my heartstrings in all the right ways. <laughs> Only speak positively about my projects. And of course, this project. <laughs> the projects of my friends. Yes, hello. I do want to very genuine. I know there's going to be a lot of jokes and quips because that's just who I am as a person. But I very gen, very genuinely want to say thank you for having me on. It's fun to have a space uh, where you're allowed to just come on and just like things. Most corners of the internet, you can like a thing, but people are going to get mad at you for it. So, like, <laughs> it's fun to have a space here where we're just going to talk about things we like. Exactly. Yeah, for the guests like. I'd love to learn more about everything. Exactly. I miss horror. He's not into it as much. And my, all my high school friends were, so I miss talking about it and being involved in it. In my defense, my love of horror goes to is anime and, of course, the, the OG horror of anything Curse of Cowley Dog. <laughs> you cannot deny that some episodes of it blew away horror movie franchises. Come on, King Ramsey's Curse. But hold on, some episodes of it? Basically every episode of it, my friend. See? <laughs> Anyone who's a fan of The Mummy, watch King Randy's Curse. That will blow away anything that Brendan Fraser's Mummy can do, including, not including, but also, of course, the um, Mummy remake. I'm like, oh boy. And you know, I'm going to say this as somebody where, as, as a small child, I was profoundly disturbed by the, Bren, uh, the Brendan Fraser Mummy. Growing up and watching it now, I am not scared of it at all, but if you showed me an episode of Courage the Cowardly Dog now, I'd probably lose sleep. It, it's so funny, too, because I think we're, we're already getting into it where I'm just going to like muse philosophically on horror and all of these things. But it's sort of interesting how, like at least from my perspective, it feels like we all are exposed to various horrific things at a young age because everybody has their own unique fears, right? So... There are all these like unique things that will exploit your fears from the time you're young. So even something like Courage the Cowardly Dog conceived as like a family show, it's four kids. But because like everybody has their own unique fears, there's going to be something that scares the crap out of them on that show. I feel like it's kind of fun now as like, uh, I'm going to be vague, a 20 something year old man. Uh, internet don't google me don't prove me wrong on that but uh, (laughs) as a 20 something year old man it's really fun to just like go back and think about the things that truly truly like scared the crap out of me as a kid and I think that's maybe even part of my fascination with horror is that as a kid I was so scared of just everything I was a coward is I don't know if that's politically correct I don't know but I was a coward as most children are but I think I was even an extra level of coward and now kind of as an adult man, still a coward, but I'm able to watch movies that I was not able to watch as a kid. And I'm much, much more confident and brave about that. And I think that's maybe why I swung so hard back the other way. And like now I just consume horror ravenously <laughs> is because it's like I'm claiming something that I was too scared of as a kid. And yeah, revisiting stuff that scared me as a kid is really funny now. Things like the most recent one I watched, this is maybe a deep pull, and you guys may not remember it, but there was a Disney Channel original movie called Don't Look Under the Bed. Yes, yes, I know what you're talking about. I do not. I, I do. Very <laughs> far reaches in the back of my head. But yeah, it's about like a girl who's like, for some reason, the boogeyman comes to ruin her life, and then 
her little brother, she starts to be able to see her little brother's imaginary friend and they have to fight against the boogeyman, but her little brother's imaginary friend is also turning into a boogeyman. <laughs> it looks so confused. <laughs> you look very confused, which is the correct reaction. Uh, but I was like scrolling through Disney Plus, just like, what's something from my childhood I haven't seen in years? And I came across that. I remember being so scared of it. In particular, there's a scene which is not even a scary scene. It's like a playful scene where the little brother's imaginary friend appears in her mirror and then crawls out of the mirror into the same room as her and they have like a conversation. As a child, I was so terrified that something was going to crawl out of my mirror. <laughs> like, and like, again, watching it now is like an adult man. It's like, the boogeyman is blaming her for mild pranks around town. Like somebody had jello put in their pool and they're like, "Uh Oh, it must've been her. And she's like, no, it's the boogeyman. (laughs) As a kid, the stakes felt life or death. You know, like I thought the boogeyman was trying to kill her and her little brother. I watched it as an adult. That is never said at any point in time. The boogeyman probably doesn't mean either of them any harm. He just wants to ruin their life with mild pranks around town. (laughs) This sounds like a very, 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 very weird, obscure episode of Billy and Mandy. When you mentioned the boogeyman wanting (laughs) to do pranks. I'm like, for real? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's... It's weird. It's very funny just because my vague childhood memories of that created a... There was a thing in my head, right? There was a thing in my head where as an adult, I thought back to that stupid Disney Channel movie. (laughs) And I remembered like, wow, they really made like a good, scary Disney Channel movie. That's crazy. But then when I found it on Disney Plus and watched it, I was like, oh, this is not the thing that was in my head. And so I, I, I think that's something that's extra fun for me now as an adult is I get to go reclaim things that scared me as a kid. Uh, Dark Crystal scarred me as a child. And I watched that, I think, six months ago and then binged the Netflix series. And I was like, this yeah. is good stuff. I don't know if you guys know about the Dark Crystal. I'm assuming you do, but I good do. stuff. I know it by Robot Chicken. By Robot Chicken? <laughs> my God. You can do better than that. Hey, 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 hey. Seth Green makes sure that everyone has pop culture references to everything. I will say the Robot Chicken horror movie like spoofs is very funny, especially with Freddy Krueger's origins. Apparently his shirt was an itchy gift from a school. So he wasn't trying to kill anyone. He was trying to destroy the crappy gifts the school gave out for the holidays. So that's why he ended up cursed. Right. It's a classic misunderstanding. A classic (laughs) misunderstanding. And he's like, Hey, Spidey, sell your soul to the evil and you will live forever. He's like, I will, just as long as I get out of this goofy shirt. <laughs> Spoiler alert, you don't get yeah. out of it. <laughs> Didn't pan out for him. No. I think my favorite uh, robot chicken like retcon is uh, the guy who loses his arm in Star Wars A New Hope. Just saying in an alien language to Luke Skywalker, like, hey, man, I like your shirt. Where did you get it? And the other guy steps in and is like, he says he doesn't like you. And it's like, what? I didn't say that, man. Stop this. And then he gets his arm cut off. And the next day he goes into work where he's an artist and he has to try to draw with his non-dominant hand and he gets fired. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yes, I think I've seen that one. The horrors of what you can find at a, at a Star Wars bar. But it's interesting that you say that nowadays, like, you look at the horror movies of, you know, your past and you are confronting them, like, just say, oh my gosh, this isn't as scary as, as it was when you were a kid. As someone who... You're still afraid of horror movies? I'm still afraid of horror movies. The most live-action horror I can go is Stranger Things. I got you through an entire season of... American Horror Story. I wouldn't say that's too much of a horror movie, but it's worse than Stranger Things. I mean, I don't know. Melting people that literally melt into a giant fleshy spider still is freaky. And then again, having Vetna play Bop It with a teenager's body. Well, yeah, Stranger Things was based off of old horror movies. Yeah. So you have a right to say that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Stephen King influences run deep. Stranger Things is such a interesting phenomenon to talk about it is horror adjacent i don't feel confident saying it's full horror but it's very horror adjacent but it's also like the first like worldwide phenomenon we've had in television for like a while you know because i mean culturally you remember like some touchstone moments from growing up like i remember when the last episode of friends aired 
because yeah. that was like a cultural phenomenon. I did not watch Friends. I was a young child, but I knew the show was ending because it was such like a cultural powerhouse. It's weird to me that like, there'll be like maybe a three or four year old kid in 2024 when the final season of Stranger Things comes out, where that will be like a memory they have. Like they remember the day that season five dropped and then Stranger Things was over because that's how much of like a pop culture, like powerhouse Stranger Things is. And I don't think we've had something from like the end of Friends until Stranger Things that has like that same like level of like everybody seems to have seen it. Everybody seems to have an opinion about it. And probably everybody will be watching when it ends. <laughs> Not to generalize if there's a listener out there that's like, I haven't seen Str- I don't know why they sound like that, but if they sound like I haven't seen Stranger Things, hey, you don't have to. Like you don't have to, all- but they would still have an opinion on it. That's the yes. thing. Everyone out there has some sort of opinion on it. Sure. And like your opinion could be anything, even if it's wrong. Your opinion could be, hey, Stranger Things is broccoli. <laughs> Scientifically not accurate, but you can have that opinion. That's cool with me. I'm pretending it's broccoli with cheese. The demigorgon broccoli tastes a little scaly a little raw yeah since you have only seen horror up to the phenomenon of stranger things what were you gonna you have a question from there my question is i have a friend who's also like into horror and everything and she always talks about hollywood remakes of horror movies like with the new chucky being like an artificial intelligence like little doll i don't think that's a weird way to put it but yeah i get what you're saying what's your opinions on on horror movie remakes in comparison to like originals a very cool question we actually on on our podcast we we try to actually watch movies and come up with plans to survive movies but in the off season sometimes we'll kind of do like themed episodes and we actually did an episode where we talked about remakes and that pattern in hollywood and it's actually really cool it's kind of interesting. I feel like something I want to highlight throughout this interview, if I if I can, again, I don't claim to be the ultimate authority on horror movies. I'm just a fan. But something I'm interested in highlighting throughout this interview is the notion that like some of the most popular trends in modern day Hollywood were strongly inspired and influenced from horror cinema. For instance, the concept of the remake. Like the reason we have three different Spider-Men is because like horror movies proved you could revamp, remake, completely mess up the time continuum, whatever, and then just keep going and the fans would go with it. Yes. I mean, respectfully, we have three Spider-Men. We also have like four different iterations of Michael Myers. My favorite. And it goes back even further than that because like the first real true phenomenons in movie making were like the universal monsters. You had the mummy, you had Dracula. So before even Spider-Man was up and running, you had like 16 different versions of Dracula in old, you know, black and white movies (laughs) all the way into color. I hopefully can highlight some of those things Go right ahead. That sounds so interesting. <laughs> I accidentally navigated away from your question, and I and I apologize. What was your question? No, <laughs> you no, you kind about... of you kind of went there. You were talking about the pattern of the remake. Got it. Yes. Yeah. So you were kind of in the right direction there. Yes, actually. you were. <laughs> I was the, the the connective tissue was there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're asking me directly for my opinion on remakes. It's a very interesting question where I, I feel like the, the most interesting and conversation starting answer I could give is a hard, they should never make remakes or they should continue to make remakes for the rest of time. I don't feel either which way. I tend to feel that every once in a while, there's an idea that's just neat to come back to. I actually claim probably you know how when people ask you hey what's your favorite movie you have an answer you just give off the top of your head because it's a movie you love and it's just reliable even though it may not be your favorite at that moment in time yes Yes, exactly my standard response is john carpenter's the thing from 1982 a phenomenal horror movie that actually happens to be a remake i didn't realize that yes it is a remake of the howard hawks film the thing from another world so when we talk about like remakes, if I come in and I take an anti-remake stance, I'm invalidating what <laughs> I routinely refer to as my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> but if I take the stance that, yeah, remake a franchise whenever you want, that means I open the door for them to make truly terrible movies. 
And so at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to like, what's your intention with the remake? John Carpenter saw the Howard Hawks film, loved it, went and found the book that the movie was based on and said, you know what? There are some themes and ideas in this book that Howard Hawks didn't explore in his movie. I want to explore that. So he made a remake which explored the things that he felt were unexplored. And in the process created the movie that I routinely refer to as my favorite movie. But if you do something like a remake that I will pretty routinely make fun of and trash is the Rob Zombie Halloween movie, because essentially what he decided to do, yeah, because basically what he did is he took the John Carpenter Halloween and then just remade it, but also added like a half hour of stuff that nobody cared about. (laughs) You know, like... We want to show 10-year-old Michael getting bullied at school. No, we don't. Oh, we just want to no. see him kill people. Exactly. That's not the point of him. Yeah. It's a little too much. It kind of made him blamer, honestly. No, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it, it depends entirely on what your intention is. And something that drives me crazy is if the filmmakers clearly have nothing new to say. You know, maybe they're there for a paycheck. Or I don't think that was the case with Rob Zombie. I think Rob Zombie was just so reverential towards the original Halloween movie that he didn't feel confident to make big changes. And I think that his movie suffered because of it. He was too faithful. I never saw Halloween two. Apparently that's like a, or the Rob Zombie one. I mean, apparently that's like a huge departure. Very, very much. And I, I, I can't speak as to whether or not that's an improvement, but at the very least I would be happy that he took a swing because I feel like, especially in the world of horror something that, I find really attractive is that it's a space where you can take huge, huge swings and do the weirdest stuff you've ever seen in your life. And it can pay off. I'm not saying it always does, but the fact that it can is the coolest thing in the world to me. I love how experimental and weird the horror genre gets. And I'm, I'm all about it. Make, make the movies as weird as you guys want. You two specifically, your movies, make them weird. Make them weird. That, that's what I love about it. I'm too cowardly for horror movies, but I always enjoy the conversations that like my friend has with horror movies, especially like when the new Chucky movie came out, she was like, I don't know if I would like the idea of like Chucky being a robot as opposed to like a cursed, you know, cursed doll with movie magic. There's the whole concept of if he's a robot. But in my opinion, I think it's a good approach because one of the things with horror movies is like it captivates, you know, the human fears and the unknown. And in the case of Chucky, what better way to captivate the fear of artificial intelligence? Like, sure, you have the Terminator, but then you have it like at a personal level of like it can get out of control. Like artificial intelligence is going to grow. You have nowadays you have the unfortunate thing of diseases. How much Obviously, with the with the horror movie Smile coming out, that, the, that thing was creepy. Like you have the disease, but also you have the human, the human approach of like you know you gotta stay positive. See, I just want that to be called the Ted Lasso virus, <laughs> the the positivity virus. Yes, like with the horror movies of the past, you get this sense of the fear of dark, fear of unknown because there's historical links to like yeah, this is sin against nature and everything like that. While today's horror movies, we get that nice. Not nice, but like that connection to modern day fears. True. But do you think they should remake movies with modern day fears, taking the whole concept away from Chucky being possessed and now, oh, was he a robot the whole time? I mean, if you're a fan of the seed of Chucky and the bride of Chucky, I'm sorry. I don't think he's going to, this new robotic Chucky's going to do all of that things. Oh, he's not going to have full sex with another doll? I'll leave that to the to any robotic roboticist engineers who are listening to this. Oh yes, <laughs> robot experts, uh, jump in the comments. Tell us we we need a lot of details and we need it to get weird fast. We need diagrams, yes. <laughs> diagrams, hypotheses. I need you to email those to me personally. <laughs> and Jennifer Tilly, if you're listening to this, um, someone will give you a call about this. We need your input. I'll take Jennifer Tilly's input on anything. <laughs> I will say I do love... You can also get back to the formula because I think Prey definitely encapsulated the whole mystique and like fear factor of the Predators that was surely missing in... I forget the last Predator movie, but we definitely didn't get that much of it in like the Alien versus Predator movies. Yeah, it all depends on what kind of horror movie you're 
looking at as you talk about that. Like there's the predator, there's the, you're being possessed. There's, there's a serial killer chasing after me. There's a monster, like someone has multiple personalities. I don't know. I'm at a bit of a disadvantage in that specific conversation. I haven't seen Prey yet. We're actually, uh, the movie we're covering on the podcast this week is the original Predator. Going to go ahead and revisit that with good old Schwarzenegger and other stacks of muscle. And then I'm going to go ahead, once we're kind of done there, I'm, I'm going to go check out Prey once I've had that refresher. Uh, so I'm at a bit of a disadvantage on that. But I will say, I think, to Taylor's point about just the idea of horror movies are different things. And it's cool to talk with uh, two people that are very, not only culturally like literate, but very like media literate in that the things you consume, you're, you're reading into them and you're examining them. Cause I do feel like something that's important about that, that maybe stays out of the conversation, especially in horror movies is every movie is like weirdly self-aware in that when is that a movie is trying to be a thing. So you can't judge the movie for what it's not. You have to judge the movie based on how good is it at being the thing that it wants to be. Yes. Mm. That's the best way to put it. And, and, like, <laughs> and that becomes its own like insane, like mind bending thing. When you really try to take that into account, where like, you know, if you leave a movie and you're kind of going like, I don't know how I feel about that. Sometimes you have to take a moment and you have to like have the conversation with yourself where you say, did I not like the movie because it wasn't what I wanted it to be? Or did I not like the movie because I knew what it wanted to be, but it wasn't that, you know? It's it. This is such a confusing conversation. I'm sorry if I'm not articulating no, my no, point I get well. exactly what you're saying. It's a perfect way to describe it. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's something I run into even just on Final Boy status because, you know, I we, we do such a wide range of horror movies on the podcast. Some of them are movies that I've seen and I'm like, we got to talk about that. Some of them another host has seen and I haven't and I get really excited about it and I go watch the thing and it's so nice. We used to watch the movie and then immediately record. And I wish I could recant some of the things I said about some of those movies. Because my immediate yeah. reaction, my knee jerk was like, I don't think I liked the movie very much. And then the more time I had to sit with the movie, the more I was like, no, I, I just, it wasn't what I thought it would be. And I didn't know how to feel about that. But now that I've sat with it, I love it. If, for instance, uh, the Invisible Man remake from 2019. Yeah. I did not review that film very highly on the podcast i wish i could go back and like recant what i said about it because the more time i've had to sit with it the more i'm like no that movie's really really good it's just not what i thought it was going to be exactly mm. no that's the exact same way i thought about it i was like what just happened <laughs> yeah. then once you think about it <laughs> you get a different feel for it so it's that crazy thing and like it's an issue that i feel like horror movies are particularly beholden to a great recent example that we are doing on the podcast as well was the movie Malignant, which came out in 2021. That was a James Wan joint, so his name was plastered all over it. The trailers were all edited a certain way. Audiences went in thinking, oh, this is going to be like The Conjuring, because that was a James Wan joint as well. And so he does The Conjuring-type movies. Malignant is going to be a Conjuring-type movie. And then Malignant is this beautiful, insane salute to Giallo films uh, from the 1970s that is very much its own thing. And so that was a hugely divisive movie, and a lot of people did not like it. But to me, it's like, I think their disappointment was just they didn't have a gauge, right? If you went to see yeah. Malignant expecting a Conjuring-type movie, of course you're not going to like what you saw. Yeah, But if you go into Malignant having the frame of reference of this is a modern day Giallo, it redefines how you look at the movie. And like that for me was like sort of an unsung hero last year of horror. I thought it was so weird and so funny, viscerally gross as well. Um, it was just kind of a lot of different things that I loved. And I was kind of bummed out that it got as much hate as it did because i feel like people just went into it not expecting what they got <laughs> mm. you can't go into movies with much of an expectation that's what has always tinted people's view and even my view of movies you you really want it to be something you're never going to end up liking it indubitably 
it's a very weird journey of meeting the movie on the movie's terms and kind of stepping in and saying, I'm willing to go on the ride that you're taking me on. And we're so saturated with movies now. As an audience member, you feel like you're in a position to say, no, I dictate where the ride goes. But also, like, that's not how movies work. <laughs> no, not at all. No, I get that completely. Like, I always go into movies now and I'm like, that's the ending of the movie? Like, really? They could have done this and they could have done that. And then I sit on it for a couple of days and I'm like, no, that's exactly what makes sense and where that movie was supposed to go. It's just not what I was thinking in that time frame. Indeed. I always have some sense of like, I at least get some intellectual context of the movie before I go into it. But I'm always like, something's going to go left and right. And there's going to be things I'm not anticipating. But most times I end up enjoying it. I didn't think Infinity War, Infinity War was going to end the way it did. But I'm like, that's a good one. <laughs> And obviously, I didn't think the Sonic movie was going to be explosively funny, but <laughs> expectations to find me there. Even though we were robbed of the best horror movie, ever, horror movie villain ever, yeah. the original Sonic design. Ugly Sonic, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. One question that we had. What is considered horror? When most people think of horror, or at least when I was younger and claimed that I was really into horror, they think of serial killers, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, or... Possession-type movies, The Conjuring, things like that. But could Alien be considered a horror movie? Or some people say Jaws could be considered a horror movie. Or where does the sci-fi, like he was talking about Chucky now being a robot, does that make it a sci-fi movie or a horror movie? Where would you personally draw the line? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, for me, the distinction is so firmly set in the intention of a movie, right? Which is sort of this this idea that, and this is why horror is such a huge range and why you can have Jaws, Alien, and Halloween, and all of these other things all considered like one genre, is because I think horror at the end of the day like really defines itself by its ability to create and exploit suspense in the audience, right? If every movie is designed to give you an emotional reaction... A comedy movie is designed to elicit laughter. A drama movie is designed to elicit, you know, sadness, anger, potentially like overwhelming feelings of positivity, you know, like the pursuit of happiness with, with Will Smith. I think everybody would call that movie a drama, but by the end of that movie, I feel so good. Like you're like crying. It's so beautiful and so like uplifting. So I feel like movies, you know, in, in their own way are all about like the emotional experience of a movie. I think horror movies can just be classified as a movie that wants to scare you and thrill you and get you on the edge of your seat, you know? Exactly. <laughs> there'll, there'll be a recurring theme of like, here are things that interest me about horror and maybe why I went from hating horror to being obsessed with it. But like, again, coming from a comedy background, comedy is like, in in a weird way, the complement of horror if that makes any sense where like very much no very much yeah they're both mediums that are so distinctly about controlling tension where horror wants to build tension in you and then just like make you so tense that you you know you jump you scream out and and like there's that release of tension comedy is the same thing you're building up tension and then something happens something unexpected something out of the ordinary and the tension in you breaks because now you're laughing and that's why like horror comedies are so they they have such a fun space like in my brain like i said if i go see a horror movie that makes me laugh out loud that's just a cherry on top jordan peele is so good at that absolutely really funny and terrifying movies uh, like i said malignant was one of those movies it was evoking a very specific time period in horror history and was doing it in a way that was just really making me laugh which i i think is the intention of the filmmakers i think it was supposed to be kind of funny yeah i i feel like i kind of put it in those terms yeah if, if you break every movie down to like what is the core emotional journey of this movie if the emotional journey of that of the movie involves you feeling scared at any point in time i feel safe calling it a horror movie I will definitely claim Jaws and Alien. We've talked about both of those movies on Final Boy Status. I claim them full-heartedly. And talking about like how horror has influenced uh, the history of cinema and modern-day Hollywood, blockbusters started with Jaws. Jaws was the first summer blockbuster. And now 
that's all Hollywood thinks about. What's the next blockbuster? <laughs> like the first movie that did it was a horror movie. The first movie that made studios go, we've got to do that where everybody goes to see our movie <laughs> was a horror movie. It's sort of interesting too, because, and maybe I'm biased to think this, but horror is also like a genre of film that kind of never quite gets its dues. You know, it's almost looked down on. It's almost looked as, looked upon as like less than. And yet some of the most significant achievement in film is coming directly out of that genre you know the rest of hollywood just is taking it and saying thank you and running with it you know no no that is so true because it's looked down on because there's people kind of like you but not tremendously that are like i don't think i can handle horror but horror is this huge range of things so you don't have to watch the really bloody serial killers or the really really dark stuff there are ones with comedy like as an adult now i really like the ones that are like more psychological and make me think and really feel realistic. But as a teenager, I was very into like serial killer movies with my friends or just movies with jump scares in them because it was fun. I was laughing at it and not like sitting there digesting and in fear for like a week. Once I was done screaming at the TV, that was the end of it. I, I'm very interested and I very much take stock of like what are the horror projects that stick with me after the movie ends? Because obviously at this point in my life, I consume so much in that genre that most things I get to the end, I turn it off. I'm not going to think about it for the rest of the night. It's really cool when I find something that really gets to me. I take really special note of those movies where I finish it and then I go up to go to bed and I'm like lying in bed and I'm like, I need to watch YouTube or something and like <laughs> climb down from this energy. It doesn't happen very often for me anymore. And so it's like huge tip of the hat when a movie can do that that's just part of the experience is like if something can make you think and be in your head and you know you leave the movie theater and then you like check the back seat of your car to be like is there a murderer back there no okay and even going back to the discussion we're having about like people looking down on it i feel like there's sort of been a reaction in film where we talk about like prestige horror movies like the witch uh, from Robert Eggers and Ari Aster films like Hereditary and Midsummer, where it's like there's been a movement in horror to make award-worthy horror films and it almost feels like a response to be like why do you not take us seriously and like if that's the type of horror movie you want to make cool but also I think we should be singing the praises of just even if they're low budget kind of terrible I think they deserve a certain amount of applause. There are members of the horror community that are getting a little bit stuffy and they're like, no, we can make the artsy stuff too. And it's like, yeah, but we don't have to. Exactly. It's funny to me that there's kind of been this turn of like, we have to bring in the great A24 artists to make horror movies. And it's like, yeah, but what about, you know, a guy like uh, Joe Lynch who directs movies where the camera goes up a guy's butthole and out his nose? Like, I think that's pretty cool too. I think he's an auteur and artist in his own right. That That's maybe not a real thing that happened in one of his movies, but I guarantee something as weird as that has happened in one of his movies. Most likely not. <laughs> I feel like it, that's kind of the funny thing about this genre is it's so big and expansive and it covers so much where even sometimes people are giving credit to like this side of the genre over here and i'm like okay i like that but also can we talk about this because this is also very cool and people are like no that is impressive very much so because i say the most horror movie i can go for is like things with like a crazed animal involved in it i've at least seen jaws big cujo head i was gonna say did you see that one i did not animal. i didn't see cujo i saw cujo parts of the birds as a kid i got scared i know it's not a horror movie i got scared with jurassic park i claim that one i'll claim that one forever it's incredible Ooh, <laughs> see I would say, like, with the later films, like, with Fallen Kingdom, what they did with the Endoraptor was definitely gothic horror, Frankenstein, suspense thriller. And, of course, if you look at The Lost World with, like, the raptors in tall grass, like, that was... See, depending on how you look at horror, you may not hate horror as much as you think, or be scared of horror as much as you think you are. <laughs> it's a slippery slope, man. I will say, the one non-animal horror movie I saw was about a killer tire. I, I Yeah, I've seen that movie as well. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Like, I wouldn't have remembered it unless you brought it up, but I know exactly what you're talking about. It was funny. Yeah. I never thought I had to fear a sentient tire. Speaking of sentience and tires, you mentioned that on your channel you talk about the survivability of, like, within different horror movies. As a general rule, not general rule, but just as a general discussion, how would we survive different genres of horror? Like, how, do we, how would we survive, like, say, against 
the crazy serial killer, the crazy animal, zombies. I, I can tell you, obviously, the approach that we take in the old Final Boy status rodeo. Our general strategy, right, is we, we kind of take the movie a little bit at a time. We start with sort of the villain of the movie, the, the killer we put in quotes, because in a horror movie, it can be a lot of different things. And we make a point of saying, like, what are we able to learn about them over the course of this movie? What weaknesses are we able to discern? And then uh, we take a hard look at, like, the protagonist, because, of course, like, the number one thing, it's been a joke in pop culture forever, is that the characters in horror movies are really dumb. We really try to just take a step back and very realistically look at the characters and say, do we understand the decisions that these characters have made and would we be making similar decisions in that situation? And the three of us really try to approach it kind of from the mentality of like, we are the most average guys you'll ever meet. We refer to ourselves as the most average of Joes. And honestly, at the end of the day, it's all about like, having fun and being silly and at the end of the podcast we present our plans to get away from the killer and survive the horror movie and most of the times they're pure nonsense where we give ourselves like psychic powers and we can blow up the killer's head if we want to yes <laughs> to say we're an authority on anything would be inaccurate we are uh fanboys who have a good time breaking it down and thinking about it and so you know the common thread that we see through most horror movies at least from the perspective of survivability is i feel like a common thing we come up to is like where is your threshold, right? Like, how far will you go to survive? One of the other co-hosts, Adam, it's very funny but very infuriating because he's constantly a guy that goes, I don't think I could survive this movie because I'm just not willing to do this. And me and the other host are like, you're not willing to do that? I would do that in a heartbeat. So it's like... In that situation. Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I feel like that's continually where the conversation comes down to. One, to be the type of protagonist that can get out of their life. I, I think you have to be somebody who can gather information about the killer, about the antagonist. I think you have to be somebody who moves as intelligently as possible and also moves as ruthlessly as possible. You cannot be afraid. We, we talk about it all the time, but like you, you can't be afraid to just unleash on the villain when your time comes. You probably only get one shot, so you better take it. I feel like our bread and butter on the podcast are slasher movies. Because as a teenager, when I really got into horror with my friends, all my friends were into like serial killers. So that was mainly what we were watching. Would we survive or would I be dead five minutes into this movie? The most I ever got in the survivability conversation was with a friend from college. And it was about whether or not certain Star Wars characters could survive against, like, Freddy, Michael. If they do their research, because one of my friends got very into it, she had a huge book of, like, actual real-life serial killers and was learning everything about the concept of a serial killer in general. She was definitely the one with the upper hand and gonna beat all of us out Well, I died in the corner. I would say, like, with those conversations I have with my friends, serial killers, any natural predator in the wild, they have a bloodlust. Even if they're most intelligent, they have that natural instinct bloodlust success. Let me go for the weakest link, the sick member, the ones that can't defend themselves, instead of going for the more healthy, the more, like, person that can give me a challenge. Poison all your friends so they get killed first. And that's why no. I invite <laughs> one sick friend with me everywhere I go. Somebody truly <laughs> on death's door. They're like, oh, you're already sick and dying, so killing you would not satisfy my hunt, so go live and die your merry way. I was like, wow, that's the most chivalrous I've ever seen of a predator. And there's a moment in a predator movie where he's like about to kill a lady, goes x-ray on her belly, sees that she's two weeks pregnant, and is like, nah, and lets her go. And I think about that all the time. <laughs> I'm like, I said, kill her with morals. <laughs> Just coming down to like, you as a person, what are you capable of figuring out in the space of a movie and what alterations are you capable of making? And it also just becomes like a fun game of like a little bit nitpicking movies and finding funny things that you never would have noticed beforehand. I, I think we did Hereditary at some point. I mean, huge spoiler for that movie. The the death that occurs at about the halfway point of that movie, the, the telephone pole death. It's really funny to try and break that down from a survivability standpoint because the implication is 
that was like a planned kill. Logistically planning that kill must have been a nightmare. Like there was a lot of room for error. The little girl had to eat some chocolate cake, had to not have her EpiPen on her. And then she had to stick her head out of a window while driving fast in such a way that like, and then there would have to be a deer in the road. So he would swerve to avoid it and she would hit her head on the telephone pole and die. <laughs> From a logistics stand standpoint, it was so fun, like pitching ways to survive that movie. Cause it's like, I think this is easy. I think I just bring my EpiPen and I'm good to go. <laughs> trying to be fair to these movies is also really funny because we're going into it on high alert and we're like hyper vigilant looking for things people in the situation probably wouldn't be looking for or i either of you particular fans of uh the scream movies i used to watch those all the time because that's where i started in the world of horror before i got into the very deep thought-provoking stuff well and scream is just so genius because talk about like a movie being self-aware how cool and just incredibly genius to think what if we made a slasher movie that knows it's a slasher movie? That is so nuts and so cool. Randy in that movie, like, sort of lays out his rules for surviving a horror movie. It's safe to say that in the world of Final Boy status, we we have certain rules as well. I think our rules are more guidelines. So obviously Randy's are you can never drink or do drugs, you can never have sex, and you can never say I'll be right back. The moment you do any of those things, you die. Our philosophy at Final Boy Status is feel free to drink and do drugs as long as you're not hurting anyone. Feel free to have all the sex you want consensually, but uh, definitely never say I'll be right back. That's just asking for trouble. <laughs> I do think also like there is sort of those intrinsic things, right, where it's like, uh, something that's really funny about every horror movie is there's like nothing ever comes out of nowhere you know there's always red flags a lot of horror movies like the friday the 13th movies literally have a, a trope built into them called the harbinger trope which is the dumb teenagers are going someplace they stop for gas and there's a guy at the gas station that's like you'll never get out alive and they're like well uh we'll just go where we're going anyway idiots i'm kind of an anxious person personally if i was like going to go camping with my friends and we stopped for gas and some guy was like, you don't understand, people die out there. I'd be like, well, okay, I'm going home. Instead of going camping in the woods, let's go to that nice hotel downtown and just order bad takeout. We don't need to have sex in the woods. We can have sex in a hotel. It'll be, it'll honestly be nicer. <laughs> exactly. if we're be, Like, let's be honest with each other. I don't want leaves stuck to my butt. I just, let's go to a hotel. <laughs> Unless it's the Bates Motel. Bates Motel, obviously, that's what, that's the hotel you want to avoid. I love the movie Psycho, but also, how does Marion have a full conversation with Norman, and then at the end of it go, yeah, I'll sleep here tonight. <laughs> like, every bit of that conversation is just a huge nope for me, my guy. Yeah. Exactly. Take the time to think for five seconds. A lot of the rules are just like common sense, you know, like horror movies reliably occur in a situation where you're out of your element. It's very rare. Maybe that's part of the genius of a movie like John Carpenter's Halloween is that that movie takes place completely in what's familiar, right? These people are going about their daily routine, their daily lives in a suburban neighborhood where they feel safe. And then Michael Myers shows up and kills them. There's a scariness to that that I appreciate. But like 90% of horror happens in a new situation. It's kids going to be counselors at a, a summer camp. People on a spaceship making a brief stop at a planet out of their way to like pick up an egg, question mark. Very unclear what their objective was, but they definitely uh, picked something up and brought it back on the ship. Fear of the unknown is something that's just so thematically relevant through most horror movies. Um, you know, even a movie like The Conjuring, how does that movie begin? With a family moving into a new house. Like, it's all about, like, there's a new situation, there's something unknown to be reckoned with. Anytime I'm in a new situation, my head is on a swivel. I'm the type of guy that once went to a party and somebody sneezed louder than I was ready for, and I said, nah, I'm out, and I left. <laughs> oh my god yes i mean that, that does sound like something one of us could probably do i feel like we live in an era sort of of uh, everybody to some degree our age feels a little anxious and sometimes watching horror movies yeah. there's just this feeling in me of like do these people not understand what like not feel anxiety do they feel comfortable in every situation because i would be so scared of like most of what's happening like <laughs> No, same, same. I've thought that. I haven't directly put the pieces together to say what you're saying, but I definitely think that now that that explains what's been 
going on in my head. If I'm going out into a place that I'm not familiar with, my guard is going to be on high. So that only thing I can say is like, if I have friends with me, I'm going to like make sure everyone's safe. If there's a way to get out, if everything goes from sugar to sh- real quick i'm like come on guys let's let's leave but what about the party no 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 no. there's something bad about to happen i can sense in my bones let's get out of here where's x and x oh they're in the back doing their things i'm like oh boy they couldn't wait till the honeymoon apparently horror movies have such an interesting relationship with sexuality anyway in that like if i were to put a voice to most horror movies they would be saying oh there's gonna be sex in this movie but also they're gonna be punished for it It's simultaneously conservative and like judgmental of that aspect of human beings, but also it's very exploitative at the same time. And that's not every movie ever, by the way, but like particularly with like slasher movies of the, you know, Giallo films in the 70s, which were the precursors to slashers in the 80s and 90s. There was a particular fascination with, you know, some creepy executive showing up to every script writing meeting and he's like, these kids, they're going to be so naked and then they're going to be so dead. Oh, God. (laughs) Kids are going to come see this movie and they're going to be like, ooh, there's there's so much sex, but then we're going to show them sex is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's the movie this like the cinematic equivalent of having your cake and eating it too yeah we're gonna show you some boobs but also like everybody involved is punished so it's okay i guess it all evens out in the scales of i don't know what those scales would be the scales of perviness and shame as far as futurama would say to go a life without having sex or to have sex and die a gruesome death it's a tough call as far i would say see it is interesting that you say that though because i feel like a a point that comes up for me a lot and i say this is like i do not identify as asexual i am, I am interested in sex but also i've never been interested enough in sex to ignore some of the red flags that characters in these movies ignore <laughs> no exactly i feel that i love the original john carpenter Halloween. There's a scene in that movie where two teenagers go into a house that does not belong to them, which is empty and they're not expecting it to be empty. They're like, oh good, privacy. They go up to like the parents' bedroom, again, of a stranger's house, have full sex in the parents' bed, and then Michael Myers shows up and kills them. And I'm like, speaking from my perspective, I don't think I've ever been like so locked in on my partner. I would make it all the way to the parents' bedroom. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'd walk through the front door and be like, the person we were expecting to be here isn't here. We need to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this this level of situ- situational awareness, right, is really at the end of the day what's going to help you get from point A to point B in a horror movie relatively relatively unharmed and i think your tactics for survival obviously vary wildly from movie to movie but the number one advice i would give after doing god i think we've done 47 episodes of the podcast at this point over three seasons i feel like my general advice to just anybody who wants to sit around and play this game with their friends of how do we get out of this alive and you know how do we beat this movie i feel like The number one thing we always come back to is just like situational awareness of being a person who can kind of take a second to go like, nah, the vibe is off, guys. And I feel like, you know, especially among myself and my co-hosts, myself and Lanson are both really keyed into like, if the vibe is off, we want to get out of there. Adam, uh, who I love dearly, he doesn't survive a lot of the horror movies we cover because I, I believe that he wouldn't catch the rancid vibes. <laughs> I, I, when he says, I don't think I'd notice, I sincerely believe him. So I feel like if this is a game you want to play at home with your friends, because it is really fun and it is really funny, and I laugh so hard taping this podcast with these gentlemen, I feel like the funnest part of the game for me is just looking for those little weird things. It's a very like stand-up comedy, like odds observational humor thing of like you just look for the smallest thing that would make you feel like the vibe is off and then you just like riff on that so you go like oh i show up to a house and my friend who is supposed to be babysitting at this house is not there and also the kid isn't there hmm i probably will not go have sex in the bed upstairs that no no that's when you leave figure out where everyone is and then michael myers will find you just riffing I'm just riffing on this, and I, I, when I go in the riff zone, I know it's hard sometimes to see where I'm going, but my plan starts with not having sex. Most people hear that, and they're like, that's a crazy plan, but I'm going to start, that's going to be my point A. My point A is not having sex. There's going to be a lot of stuff 
that happens after that concerning a killer getting my friends out okay and getting myself out okay and then the end point is sex anyway that's the remarkable thing about most horror movies if i get through alive and i defeat the killer then i can have sex when it's all done so i don't need to worry about having sex right now yeah, don't worry about it now and you'll get it later. Yes. Have, then yes. you're still alive. Your victory, we're alive sex. <laughs> My favorite kind of sex, by the way, alive sex. Yes. <laughs> if you die during sex, then consult a doctor. If you die during sex, I don't know that you were able to consult a doctor at that point. <laughs> I was going to say, you're dead. You're, you're dead. Contacting the doctors from the afterlife. And then, then you're in a different horror movie where you're the ghost haunting a doctor's office, making the lights flicker. Don't prescribe them Viagra. Dog, I really need you to test me for STDs. I got horny out in the woods. <laughs> There's a whole other movie now. Exactly. Because slasher movies are easy to be like, these are the red flags, this is how I would survive. <laughs> that when I always think about playing that game, I go towards slasher movies. But then there's a whole other category. It's like, oh, how would you survive the ring or the conjuring? Or that, you're just, in my opinion, I'm just kind of screwed. Uh, we're recording our episode about Predator tomorrow. So right now, my whole game plan is just based around being a coward. You know, being somebody that the Predator is just not interested in being not being particularly interested in weapons, not being addicted to chewing tobacco, not telling weird jokes about my girlfriend's genitalia. We don't talk about, like, in terms of weird things to call out in horror movies, there's a guy in Predator who tells way too many jokes about his girlfriend's genitalia. And at, at the point where he dies, you're like, is the Predator even the bad guy at this point? It's an ugly thing to say, but somebody had to say it. No, no, oh, it's true. Sometimes. So, we learned how to survive horror movies now. Number one, have common sense. Hopefully that'll get you at least halfway there. Yes, and if you don't have any common sense, you can find it at the nearest bookstore, Common Sense, written by Thomas Paine. That will help you survive a horror movie. What would be the one movie, or the grouping, or a couple of movies, you would tell people who are first getting into horror, or want to dive deeper in it to, like, someone who's... Only seen a couple because they don't feel confident enough to watch them. Oh, wow. What a great question. Your gateway movies into horror. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, at the end of the day, as I said, it is a slippery slope. And horror is such a huge genre that I guarantee there's stuff in there for everybody. But I feel like the movies that were like this, the really slippery slope for me was anything that really had like a sense of adventure about it, too, on top of like the scares and the thrills. Movies like, I mean, we've name-dropped them already, but like Jurassic Park was huge for me. Uh, Jaws, because Steven Spielberg, just, like, God, what a master. The Mummy with Brendan Fraser was actually, like, really important to me. I loved that that movie scared the pants off me, and I just found myself being drawn back to it. It's sort of an interesting conversation, because it's such a wide, expansive genre that if there's a movie you try out and it's not for you i totally understand and respect that but you can you can go in a different direction and maybe find something else that you'll really really love i know for me even just among directors you know like i've spoken very highly of james wan's um, malignant i love insidious i'm actually not a big conjuring fan oh, wow. it's just kind of funny like uh if something doesn't quite click right with you you'll find something else that does click with you i know that uh I personally don't necessarily tend to lean too into ghost stories, but they don't tend to be my particular taste. I feel like I really lean into movies that have more of a science fiction nature to them. And so I, I think it's just all about finding the angle that interests you and just going after it. You know, I, I think the reason movies like slasher movies in the 80s and 90s were as prolific as they were and converted so many people like me to horror, like... I feel like a lot of people I've talked to where I'm like, okay, well, what was the movie that made you say, like, I think I'm all in on horror. So many of them talk about slasher movies from, uh, I should say people of like my general background, you know, like cisgender men, 
I feel like the conversation always comes back to movies like Friday the 13th or Halloween because they're like you watch a movie you get really scared and also there's pretty girls who <laughs> get naked it's like every it's like a perfect cocktail <laughs> for a 13 year old boy it's such an expansive genre you can find something that interests you as I said for me I was so obsessed with comedy that like funny horror movies were just so alluring to me so quickly I saw Tucker and Dale versus Evil it's like a slasher movie that's also a parody of slasher movies it's it's a very funny premise where essentially like Tucker and Dale look like they look like the scary hillbillies that are going to kill the college kids that are out camping but it's all just like a big misunderstanding and the college kids are are actually accidentally killing themselves (laughs) it's really really dark and really weird Um, But it's so, so deeply funny. And it was just one of those things where I saw that movie before I saw Friday the 13th, Halloween, any of it. I watched a parody about slasher movies before I'd seen a single slasher movie. And it was so funny and I wanted to understand the tropes. It, it was just like, well, okay, I got to figure out what this movie's making fun of. And I went and I found those movies and found that I had a certain enjoyment for those. And part of that came from like, they were funny in their own way and you could kind of laugh at them. You know, they're, they were made in the 80s. They're kind of schlocky. So there's something funny about that. From the perspective of myself, where I'm just somebody who really likes movies, I feel like the thing I always found was I would find a movie that I really liked and then I'd go, oh, who's this director? I've never heard of them before. Or who's the person that wrote this? I've never heard of them. And you fall down a rabbit hole and you look them up on IMDb and you're like, what other things have they made? So if you're a person that you're trying to get into horror, you try a few things and then you happen to try something you love, say you check out Jordan Peele film, look up his IMDb and you go, what else has he got to offer, man? What else does he have in the work? You know, maybe you watch Get Out and then suddenly you watch Us and you watch Nope. So I feel like it's just got to be an exploration of what interests you. I don't don't want to be the person who gets up on a soapbox and says everybody needs to love horror everybody needs to get into this at the end of the day if you feel like it's not your thing it's not your thing i'm i'm not super into the idea of forcing people to like the things that i like if i'm gonna offer any advice about how do you start down that slippery slope into being a horror fan find the things you like find the things that interest you You know, if you absolutely with a passion hate every zombie movie ever made, it's not going to make sense if you're like, I'm only going to watch zombie movies and then I'm going to decide that I hate horror movies. (laughs) But you have a weird fascination with werewolves. Go check out like cool werewolves movie, an American werewolf in London, The Howling. That if you just follow your interests, I guarantee you'll find something interesting. Exactly. It's such an expansive group of movies as we've been talking about. The one reason I come up with that question is I feel like more people need to give it a chance than they do. Because a lot of people who may even like some horror movies without realizing it are just like, I'm afraid of horror. It's not for me. Don't ever bring it up. I'm not that type of person. When if they really go into it, like my co-host over here has said, like he's afraid of horror movies and stuff and is not as into it. But if he went into the sci-fi adventure category like you're in as a huge Star Wars fan and everything everything of that nature i feel like over time you would find a lot more that you actually like about it versus someone like me who tries to get you into it on my account i'm very into the concept that i like horror because it is it could be realistic there could actually be a murderer next story there could actually be someone with some psychological problem that could actually happen versus maybe something you would like that me trying to show it to you isn't going to get you into the field life is an experience that can be shared. Also, at the same time, it's ultimately your decisions and your pathway that you must decide. Horror movies is no difference. I might be into the more action, adventure, sci-fi aspect of horrors. I can also dive into like some aspects like I don't know if anyone's seen the Sleepy Hollow TV series. I enjoyed that along with Lucifer because although like I wouldn't say Lucifer is a horror. Movie. I, I wouldn't call that horror whatsoever. That's supernatural. Yeah, that's supernatural. Yeah, like, there's a difference. Sleepy Hollow is supernatural mixing with horror aspects. There's clearly some horrific scenes in that thing. That but then horror. you're someone that's like, oh, I don't like horror. We're now claiming Jurassic Park as a horror movie. That is one of your favorite movies of all time. Thank you. It deserves a little recognition. It can <laughs> be considered a horror film. One of the most phenomenal movies ever made. Absolutely, like, you look back, we'll say in this metaphor that, like, the history of cinema is, like, a long, winding highway. You can look back and you can see, like, landmarks along the way that were just, like, such big deals. When they think of movies that changed everything, like, to not include Jurassic Park on that list 
I've gotten in like deep conversations with people who went to school for film. And in fairness, I went to school for film for like a month. So I'm, I may not be as qualified to speak on film as I like to act that I am. But like, I'll have arguments with people where they'll be like, you know, one of the greatest cinematic achievements is such and such movie. And it's like a movie that came out the same year as Jurassic Park. And I was like, really? You know, that came out the same year as Jurassic Park, right? You understand how that doesn't hold a candle to Jurassic Park. You talk about your love for Star Wars. Like that's such a huge landmark in the in the history of cinema another thing that changed everything the movie jaws changed everything you know and in our own way we're seeing movies now in the modern day that are kind of changing everything i I think it's interesting that horror is still weirdly like an underdog because horror can be everything like you said it can be that really gritty realistic thing but also in the modern day clearly our modern pop culture loves high concept stuff you know stranger things is very high concept marvel pretty high concept i've been watching uh the sandman on netflix like i don't think you can get higher concept than that that show's insane and it's like we have all this high concept stuff going on and somehow like horror movies are kind of over here in this category where people are still kind of overlooking them even though like horror is so deeply genre and high concept in its own way we're really getting entrenched in our love of genre we love the superhero genre we love fantasy genre we love science fiction genre and then horror is a big genre that we're somehow still kind of just going like and that's also there i think there are waves coming and it's getting more and more loved by the day come coming back to even what i was saying at the beginning of of the podcast it's funny that now as a grown man i have the opportunity to go back and look at the things that scared me as a kid and like reappraise them in my head they're one thing but then you see it and you're like actually this is not the thing i thought it was go watch a horror movie figure out what you like within it decide how you will survive in that movie have fun get scared laugh or go into a deep dark place and think about every detail of this movie and how you may die check your backseat for the killer and for god's sakes make sure you lock your doors and before we go everyone please learn how to have common sense so you will all be alive to come back to our next podcast indeed good night (laughs) good night america